This is the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. Hey, everyone, especially those on Facebook Live. We are here in studio with uh, a legend or soon to be legend. Oh, all right. Yeah, Connor, Connor Boyack of, I can't, I'm, I'm still not going to pronounce it right. Libertas. Libertas. And uh, all right, so this is how I have to do the introduction, okay? And I thought about this uh, last night when I was about to go to bed. So this was, I've told you this story before, but this was probably three, two years ago, three years ago. I was in Hawaii at a wedding. And in Hawaii, you have two flights, right? You have early, early morning and then late at night. So this is an early morning one. And I had, my son was uh, one and I was walking around the airport, just super, super tired. And I turned, turned the corner and came face to face with Wayne Gretzky. The great one. And the great one. And, and I sat there and I didn't know, I was like, did not know what to say. And I said something stupid like, you're my, you're, I'm your biggest fan or something like that. <laughs> so that's how I feel about Connor. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, seriously. That's a pretty I, big and statement. And I'm, so, I, so he, and he probably doesn't know hockey. this. He's probably like, uh, what did I get myself into with this interview? But I've, I followed Connor for several years back, like, Connor's conundrums. You still do that too. Back when don't I you? said crazy, th- crazier things, right? You still yeah, say still pretty. Do, you well, still say a while. pretty crazy. Things. <laughs> That's very true. You're an amazing debater, by the way. You should win like awards. <laughs> and I think like you know exactly what to do. You just try to like get people to. It's just all about blow engaging. Up. Yeah, exactly. Engaging get, the get emotion. Fired up. Yeah. You're very good at getting people so fired talk, up. Yeah. But Connor's one of these these libertarian, free market minded people that I just I love reading. Uh, and I think the first book I read was was Feardom. Did you have a book before Feardom? I had a few. Yeah. What was the one before Feardom? Uh, Latter Day Liberty. Okay, that was more for the the Mormons in the crowd. Feardom yep. was the first general market book that I did. That and I, I mean, and even Latter Day Liberty and then Latter Day Responsibility was that yeah, one, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, Feardom, I mean, it was it was it was amazing. Anyway. My point is, it's like, yeah, you're you're like the Wayne Gretzky of like the the libertarian. I don't know if you want to call it a movement or philosophy or whatever. But here's why here's why I say it. So Wayne Gretzky, right? What was unique about Wayne Gretzky? Okay, he wasn't big. He was actually pretty well. Actually, when I was in person, he was bigger than I was. But, but Wayne in Gretzky, terms of the NHL, he wasn't big. He was not big. He was small, speaking, and he wasn't yeah. strong. He wasn't, wasn't fast, and either. he wasn't fast. Right, so it's one of those things where Wayne Gretzky was amazing because of how smart he was. Now, it wasn't it may not have been like book smarts, mm. but it was he knew the game so well and he knew exactly how to play. And he'd, he'd probably you know what's uh, Yarmy Yager still playing? You know, yeah. I bet Gretzky kind of. can come back. Yeah, he, <laughs> trying to his size. <laughs> yeah. His size helps out. He's like, dude, that guy's massive. He's big. Yager's massive. Anyway, big guy. But I bet Gretzky is just an amazingly gifted person, and that's how I feel about Connor. So, so oh. you guys are gonna learn a lot about him wow. today. Thank you. Yeah, you. I, like I said, you probably would be like, I don't want some like stalker creepo right, like exit? interviewing me today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're gonna talk about some of Connor's new books, which I think are are amazing because they're not written for the well. I'd say they are kind of written for the adult because typically adults who read stuff like this don't understand it. So he's written. It's all less threatening. Yeah. So it, he's written children's books uh, on different kind of aspects of the, the, I guess, libertarianism or free free market philosophy. Yeah. And so these are, you know, some of the books we've talked about before. Um, but recently, I mean, you, you send pictures now or post pictures online of like your entire house 
like filled with orders of these books. It's a, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that was our office uh, just the other day. It's, it's been blowing up. And the nice thing for us is like some of some of the books are more for the libertarians in the crowd. But that, that's like a narrow subset of the whole world, yeah. right? Like I don't want to preach to the choir. I don't think we should just talk to people that already agree with us. Yeah. And so the books are the children's books. The Tuttle Twins are great because finally, like, it's an opportunity for us to talk to people who aren't necessarily in our movement. Yeah, the libertarians in the crowd are going to say, "Hey, I agree with that. I want my kids to learn it too." But like the the book that we just had come out um, the other day, or actually, depending on when you release this, it's probably the same day. Uh, the Tuttle Twins and the Golden Rule. Every mm-hmm. parent wants their child to learn about the Golden Rule. Yeah. They already do unto others, it. but not that Golden Rule. Yeah, right? yeah. He who has the gold <laughs> makes the makes rules. Makes the rules. <laughs> Depends on which one. But it's nice because like parents want to talk about these things with their kids. Yeah. They don't know the right way. How, how do you talk about how a businesses work or why competition's important mm-hmm. or what money is, yeah. you know, and how that works. Like, it's complex ideas that the schools aren't necessarily teaching. Parents want their kids to know this stuff. No one's been talking to the kids that way. Mm-hmm. We're waiting until they're like, you know, high schoolers or in college. I mean, do we have any, um, is it any wonder why voters are as ignorant as they are when parents and teachers are not supplementing that from a younger age? So it's been a lot of fun to kind of see it blow up and a lot more people come on board. So, all right, so you got you to gotta explain Tuttle. What's Tuttle? What's the Tuttle? Where's Tuttle come from? That was actually just marketing. We were trying to figure <laughs> out. Like, we, we wanted twins. We wanted a boy and a girl. So, you know, kids of both genders could relate. I guess there's more than two genders now. There's 30-something. But the, the two biggest ones, right? And so we wanted boys and girls to be able 30, to relate. 30-something. 30 30, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to do that math in my head. Well, he's, a big, he's a big, like, Star Wars, you know, or oh, Star sure, Trek yeah, Next exactly. Generation thing. <laughs> And, and so we wanted boys and girls to be able to relate. So we wanted twins. And then we wanted alliteration. So we wanted T. And I don't remember which one it is. And if I knew, I probably shouldn't say because someone will go Google it. But um, the first name that we liked, I have to remember what it was. We I Googled it to see if there was any twins by that name. And it was a couple of like uh, nude models, like <laughs> female twins or something. I'm like, no, we can't pick that one. That one crossed that one off the list. So we landed on Tuttle. The, the, it rolls off the, the tongue. Kids can say it easy. The domain name was available, and we just said, that sounds good. Tuttle so, is also a Scottish name, is it not? As, as is Boyack. So, so you yeah, know, there we you can, go. We can play it that way. You Scottish guys. Yeah. We stick together. <laughs> I'm, Ir- I'm Irish, and so You're close, we didn't get we'll along. We'll forgive you. Yeah. I would have been, in Braveheart, I would have been that guy that crossed that crossed over to yeah. the... You that gave up and ran away. <laughs> He we need give rep- up and ran away. We need he reparations. Like, he like saved him. Oh no! The uh, yeah, you're talking about the crazy guy. The crazy guy. That's me. That's oh, I'm he was Irish. Guy. That's right. Exactly. That would be you. And he brought the Irish to the rescue at the end of the movie, right? Yeah. I was thinking of the guys at the end with the big battle scene that said, "No, we can't do it." No, no. who were those? Guys? Those were like the royalty. That's the royalty. That oh, that's the royalty. That was the yeah. establishment. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, ex- right. exactly. Yeah. We could do a whole podcast. I just like how it breaks Braveheart. Down. Braveheart. Braveheart. <laughs> I forgot that he's my one of my favorite guys in there. I know. He like saved him. You're he one of all, my favorite he, guys. He like heard yeah. things or something. He's like, yeah. right? Didn't it he, like, he was the gods. Yeah, he heard. The gods he were heard speaking like, to him. Voices. Yeah, he did. He heard the right voices. That's right. So that's what I would have done. That guy's awesome. Okay. All right. You're not. You're better than we are. I'm just totally. All right. So. Okay, so that's I guess that good story behind the the Tuttle Twins. But what I would say maybe back up one more step. What yeah. was what was that thing that said? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write oh yeah that's, children's books right. based on you know these you know some of them are I mean like food truck fiasco is one of those that really what didn't have a predecessor. Uh, but you know the miraculous pencil did uh, the creature from Jekyll Island did yeah you know and same the road with road to surf surfdom yeah. 
So what what are, like what inspired you to start them? So that that's a much better story than my antiseptic. You know, we it was a marketing decision for Tello. That sounds really boring. Th- this is a fun story. So I've got two little kids, and a few years ago, I was trying to find books that would teach my kids about the values that I have. Uh, like Berenstain Bears, that's a very popular series. Like why being kind is important and why sharing is important. And they talk about these social values. And so parents get these books for their kids and the kids can read them over and over and over again. So I was on Amazon. I was trying to find like property rights for kids, free market for kids, liberty, you know, whatever. And there's a little bit of stuff about um, the Constitution, right? There's a little bit of stuff for American history. Hmm. But there was nothing for this age range like 5 to 11-ish uh, that talked about the ideas underneath the con- like what led to the Constitution, mm-hmm. like why did that come about? It wasn't yeah, I think just- they just kind of expect kids to blindly follow it without understanding why no it exists the way that it does. Yeah, and and what's so interesting to me as we work on this now is kids can understand this stuff. No one has been talking to them about it. No one has been coming down to their level and simplifying these ideas. But now that we are, and that's what we do. My gosh, like these kids understand it so well to the point where we get feedback from all sorts of parents saying oh my gosh, like they understand it better than I did when I was in college, you know, and, and, and they can get it at that simplified level. So it was fun, right? Because at first I was upset. There was nothing on Amazon or, you know, couldn't find anything online. Mm. And uh, I teamed up with a buddy of mine, Elijah, who's our illustrator and a very talented guy. And so we kind of kicked around this idea. He had young kids too, or still does. And, uh, and so we started with the law and we said, you know, we have, we didn't do any market research. We didn't know if this would sell. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to will this into existence, that book, because the original book by Bastiat was so powerful, you know, powerful yep. for us. And small and for, short. And short, <laughs> you know. But in, for Elijah and I, that was like the book, the essay that was instrumental in helping us understand the world. And so we wanted to do the book. So we did. The response was great, and then we've just been going from there. So where are you at? So where are you at with the law? How many copies have you sold so far? Oh, I, we just passed fifty thousand books total. total. Okay, and obviously the first book has been out longest. I think we've sold like thirteen thousand of those, okay. and then eleven thousand of the next. And two, have you been so able on. to chart who your biggest buyer is? Your biggest <laughs> demographics is it? Is it libertarians? Because I know you said that wasn't the concern. So, uh, yeah, your concern was I, I think your biggest market would probably be Republicans. So when we started, we our thinking was we'll make children's versions of, you know, well-known libertarian or conservative texts. We went to Freedom Fest, a big libertarian annual conference in Vegas and said, we'll get a booth. We'll tell these libertarians, hey, you can now get this for the kids. Great response. Right. Like it was fun. But in the years since libertarian um, parents have been like 10% of our uh, customer base. I would say about 40% is homeschooling parents Mm. because homeschooling parents are always trying to find curriculum. They're always trying to find materials that they can give their kids. And so when we pitch uh, this to them and say, this is a great opportunity, we have have lesson plans and activity workbooks and all sorts of stuff. So homeschooling parents love it. And you're Um, doing stuff with uh, Tom Woods and Liberty Classroom too? Yeah, Yeah. Tom Woods promotes our stuff. We're trying to tie in uh, now into the schools. We're doing fundraisers to try and get uh, place the books directly into schools. Are you actually getting responses from schools because I would think they'd be a little gun shy. More than we thought. Uh, we had very low That's expectations very cool. for that reason, but yeah. but we're starting not with the more political books, but with the free market book because every kid should understand just the basic free market dynamics economics. of how the, the market works. So the schools are open to that. Um, but I would say like the other half of our customer base is what you said. It's, it's just these conservative, not maybe not Republican, maybe more independent or Republican, but conservative parents who value freedom 
but they don't know what that means really. They've never read the original books that we're basing ours on. They're not very political or ideological, but they just innately value freedom and they hmm. want their kids to as well. And when we say this book series helps your kids learn about that, you know, hooks them and off they go. So when you wrote when you wrote this, what I mean, I would assume that it would be the more difficult one because you did had never done it before. What were what were the processes you went through so that it could be understood to the layperson, but then to, you know, children of whatever age you were writing it for? So by the time I did our first children's book, I think I had written uh three books for adults. And and that is difficult on its own for different reasons. Yeah. This was this was a new set of challenges. This was really weird for me because I thought, oh, it's shorter, it, it's simplified, I don't have to use big words, but the the concepts are big. That's what was hard, right? How, how do you take big concepts, complex ideas, simplify them without um, devaluing them or without diluting them, that's a better word, yeah. uh, simplifying them without diluting them, but then wrap it in a story. So it's a 60-page book. It's, it's a fun story. So it's not like a textbook, like, okay, children, justice means, you know, this, that, and the other. <laughs> uh, no, they it's more experiential, right? Like they read the fun story, and as they go along, they're kind of exposed to that type of stuff. Much harder, and it was a very new experience for me. We've kind of got a, a good thing going now with, with uh, now book six coming out, but that first book was tough, and it took a while because I, I had to read it to my kids and say, does this okay. make sense, and is it, you know, kind of test it a little bit. And so you have to go back and revise and yeah. change. Well, that's that's the thing, and we had talked about this uh, earlier, where, you know, there's there's so many details, so much information out there. It is, it's more difficult than people think to actually simplify and make it, especially with concepts as complex as these. Yeah. And not only simplify, the key for us was trying to find a balance. The first book, I think we did pretty well. And we've gotten better with time where, where it's simple and, and so kids can understand it, but where each time they come back, they're learning something a little bit more or a little bit different. Like they learn something in a different way. So we, we have to really make sure like in everything the parents say or the adults or whatever in the book, that there's kind of layers there where at first for the kids, it's just this story about, hey, don't steal, stealing's bad, right? But then they come back and read it maybe a few months later and they catch a little bit something different. Maybe they there was an election and they heard their parents talking about election and now they're learning about, oh yeah, well the, the policemen should steal, government shouldn't steal. And so then the parents can talk to them about that and extrapolate that. We wanted them to gain a lot over time and not just have this be like a read it, done, put it on the shelf thing, but what, as you experience your life and learn different things, there's more to be gained from the different layers of that book. And that's what was hard was how do you pack all that stuff in so that a, a, a younger kid can kind of get the basics and have fun with the story, but then the older kids can kind of pick different little tidbits out of there that they can understand. And it's it's hard. It's I have, you, I have, have you, a new have respect you, for children's authors. <laughs> well, did you did you? I have so many questions here. Did you a Did you run it by child psychologists or any <laughs> any child care <laughs> professionals at all to see? This uh, book is I would be interested uncertified. to get their take on it. What's that? No, you this book is uncertified. It's not part of Common Core. It's not part of any. Uh, no, no. I would be curious to hear uh, that. Well, too. I think that I think that actually adds to your brilliance because I know that most most authors when they write for children whether it's the children's television workshop or or any child-based book, they will always run it past a doctor that specializes in the the child brain sure, uh, to make sure that they can retain it. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of laugh at that a little bit because I think that we don't give kids 
that are that young nearly enough credit totally. for being as smart as they are. Mm. Uh, so my next question is, uh, have you gotten any criticism for this? Have you gotten any sort of blowback like you're you're trying to indoctrinate these kids to be anti-government or to kind of damn the man, you know, at a very young age? Are you getting that from people? So uh, we've, we've gotten very, very, very little. I mean, for every like 99.8% of all the emails we get, maybe one is a little critical. Um, I got one criticism that in the first book, there's a uh, Hispanic woman at the end, and she's the recipient of service that the twins bestow to her. And in the story, they all they they have this little dream part, like imagine what if, and it's what if she stole a tomato. So it's this Hispanic woman who happens to be. So it was this uh, Mexican gentleman who wrote in and said, "That's racist that you would have the." I'm like, "No, I love Hispanic people. There's nothing like that at all." So we got a little bit of that, which I think was misplaced. The the main criticism we've gotten, which has still been very low, has been that we are propagandizing kids. Yeah. That we are trying to indoctrinate them with our ideology. Uh, there was a a YouTube uh, channel called Harmful Opinions. Never heard of him before. Never heard of him since. But he's got a <laughs> decent following, I guess. I don't know if you saw uh, this when I posted it. I've never heard of him. And uh, and he he took this video that we did for Tuttle Twins a few months ago, picked it apart, and basically made this argument that it's indoctrinating kids. Let them be kids. You know, you're basically just shoveling the propaganda. They don't understand the things that they're learning about and 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 parroting. And um, but that's kind of the underlying theme with other criticism that we've mm-hmm. got. I kind of welcome that criticism because it allows me to say in response, propaganda is just propagating information. Mm-hmm. Like it has this very negative term because of Edward Bernays in you know the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. He was the the confidant of Woodrow Wilson. He coined the the, the term and its application of what we now understand negatively as mm-hmm. government propaganda. Uh, where you're deceiving people, you're trying to control people, manipulate them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's not what we're doing. We're just propagating information. And parents, you know, whether they have religious values or political values or social values, every parent is transmitting those values to their kids. We're just providing a mechanism so the parents can facilitate those conversations. So I like that argument in a way because it allows me to just say, well, yeah, we are. it is propaganda. It is, but everything yeah. in school is propaganda yeah. and everything on TV is propaganda. Yeah, I think propaganda gets, gets a, a negative rap for the uh, you know, for the intention behind it, the motivation behind it. So this is a motivation where you're just trying to provide education, right? There's yeah. no kind of ulterior motive or, or it's a matter of per, It's agenda. a matter of perspective. Yeah. It's, it's just simply, it's simply a different perspective. But I like that. It's, it's the motive behind it, right? Like, are you trying to control and manipulate people to do what you want, or are you just trying to serve them and, and help them learn? Exactly. And I think this is, so w- maybe on the other side of, of Chunga's question, what has what has been some of those big success stories where, you know, maybe a, a homeschool network took it up and, you know, had a great experience with it? Or um, I know you've had people around the world that have purchased uh, purchased the books, but maybe, you know, talk yeah, about yeah. some of those. So that one's fun, right? We're translating, I think, into seven or eight languages now and, and seeing people in different countries because the, the ideas are are. You know, it's not Amer- people will email and say, "Oh, is this an American thing?" Well, no, Bossy like, was this French, is, yeah. right? It's just <laughs> these are ideas that are common to all of humanity. So it's fun to see. Uh, just the other day, we saw a group in Kenya reading it. Uh, last week, we had a congressman in Michigan going around to a bunch of schools reading it to like hundreds of, of children. Uh, the free market one, the the miraculous pencil book. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to see it get out there. I think to your question, the thing that I enjoy the most is is not the big stuff, but the little stuff. So we we've had. Uh, you know, next month we're distributing over 2,000 books to a network of charter schools and their <laughs> teachers in class are going to teach about the free market awesome. and get it, give every kid a pencil, yeah. right, and talk about that. So that the big projects are fun. 
to me, the, the fun stuff is the emails we get from the parents who say, uh, my child has, you know, my, my five-year-old daughter, I got this one just a couple of days ago. He said like, my five-year-old daughter has hundreds of books and she's obsessed with princesses and every story is a princess. But since your Tuttle Twins, since I got her your Tuttle Twins books, it's all she reads every day. <laughs> she never wants to go back to her princesses. She keeps asking when your next book is out, and all she wants to do is talk about the things she's learning in your books. That's amazing. And and we get so many emails like that that I've had to sit back and try and figure out like why there's something here, and it's not me. It's not. It's the ideas. And and like Chunga was saying before, like we 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 underestimate what kids can understand, mm-hmm. right? I think that's it, that we're, we're giving kids a little bit more detailed information than is usually given to them at that level. And it's information that rings true really easily, like mm-hmm. don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, that the world is an amazing place, that the markets can bring people together, right? Like these things ring true to, to kids, I think. And they appreciate, I think, learning a little bit above the level that other adults are, are speaking to them mm-hmm. or that their books are talking about. Like It's almost like reciprocal yeah. respect, where they're recognizing you're respecting them by talking to them a certain way yeah. and they're responding in yeah. kind. Well, I would say also it's that the children of today live in a, a society that has never existed before. So if you think about it, like when I grew up, you know, you have your, you know, your perspective of the world, which is, you know, limited to your neighborhood, to your school. That's really, that's maybe your family. That's, about that's it. it. Now there's a portal that they have where they see lifestyles everywhere. They see government, they see, you know, buzzwords. They, they're exposed to so much more information. And I think their, you know, inquisitive minds want explanation that is not being given by their parents or their school. And, and so, it's a child's nature to just question everything, yeah, right? Sure. And so, I would say- and this helps yeah. them do that, it sounds like. Because a lot of these, I mean, a lot of these books, these are, I mean, The Road to Serfdom was was the road to serve them that was written you know almost 100 was 100 the 50s. years yeah, this is in the yeah. 50s so you have and then you have uh, i pencil uh, the uh, leonard leonard reed. reed yeah and that was also really small and really easy to to understand the information has really existed but the way in which you've you know put it out there has been more attractive because it's in a way that they can digest it and it's it's kind of this kind of hybrid between you know adult topics and children distribution if that if that makes sense it's and, a and, fascinating and honestly, combination like, to me that's that's where the fun comes in because the parents who send us these emails i think what they value the most is yeah their kids are learning but they like having that shared experience with them and and these parents most of these like conservative you know or independent uh, parents They've never heard of the authors. They've never heard of G. Edward Griffin or mm-hmm. F. A. Hayek mm-hmm. or Frederick Bastian. Mm-hmm. They've never read the books, and they probably never would. Like we would never bring them into our movement by saying, "Here's this thick book that's 80 years old." Yeah. Go, go or read the that. Tre- creature from Jack Island. It's right, like, it's huge, you know, bigger right? than the Bible. They never read it, and yet when <laughs> we can give them this little fun picture book that they can sit down with their kids and read through and and learn valuable information read a fun story, and then at the end we have discussion questions that they can talk about. The parents appreciate that because it's information they want their kids to know, and it's information that the parent wanted to know but maybe felt too intimidated to ask or never were going to read the book. This is a very non-threatening way for the parents to get that information. Well, and you know what I think is funny? It seems like uh, it, it almost skips generations, but when I was a kid they had the Bible for kids, and I think the religious community has done a very good job of understanding that you can take really complex, bizarre, if you will, uh, speech and writing and and really, really simplify that so a child can get it. But do you remember, Pat, you're probably old enough. I don't know. I don't know about you, Connor. I don't know if you're old enough or not because he's a youngster. Um, but they had the Schoolhouse Rock 
little cartoons that would run on Saturday morning cartoons where they would explain everything from how a bill is made to grammar. And they would have songs, and you would sing along. And and uh, you know, I'm the writer here at at our day job that we do here. Uh, in addition to doing the, and I daily, almost daily, remember what I learned on Schoolhouse Rock mm. with regard to grammar. It's as as crazy as that sounds, but it's really true. Mm. I learned it at a very young age, and I I wonder why, when it comes to systems of government and politics, why there's not more of this. Mm. That's really interesting. Well, I think it's, and this is just me speaking. I don't know if this is the the this is at least how I learn. It's the the idea behind a cartoon is that it's this fantasy world, right? It's this mm-hmm. world that doesn't really exist, but you know they they're kind of represented. Cause they have eyes and they have mouth, they have a nose, and and then they're real world. Uh, concepts, right? There's real, mm-hmm. real world, uh, real world application to it, and I think it's that idea where people are so fascinated with kind of a world that kind of exists but doesn't exist, plus the information at hand in a way that it's you know easy to digest. Mm-hmm. But let me take a stab at it this way. I so I've written another book for parents called Passion Driven Education, yeah, yeah, and it's all yeah. about how you take a child's passion or interest and turn it into this educational model that they value, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that book, I talk about the importance of speaking to children in a language that they understand. Mm-hmm. And Chunga, I think what he's getting at is the cartoon delivery method or the songs and the fun is yeah. that's that's a language kids get. It's, it's fun. It's not reading a textbook when you're eight, you yeah. know. So it's a language that they understand. But going beyond that, we need to speak to kids in a language they understand. But what are we speaking them about, right? Like if, if we're teaching them grammar, awesome. If we're mm-hmm. teaching them how a bill becomes a law, great. Mm-hmm. If we're teaching them about the way the world works, fantastic. Or are we just talking to them about a fun, silly story that has no you know, emotional or social yeah. or, or intellectual value. And these are adult topics too that they're intrigued by, yeah. right? But really they don't understand. This is just a way in which there's a lot of different, you know, I think there's so many variables that make it so attractive. Cool. Well, good to hear. Well, so we'll, let me ask you another question. We can move on to uh, Libertas. Is that Libertas? No, you got it wrong. Right. You're yeah, still yeah, failing. Libertas. I'll get it by the end, I promise. Okay, <laughs> what was what was the the hardest what was the hard, most challenging one to write? Was the first one was it Creature from Jekyll Island? Was it Good uh, question. Food um, truck fiasco? I'm gonna say this new one that we've done. Um, the that you haven't seen yet, the golden yep. rule. And mm-hmm. the, the reason is is um some of these books are a little bit more political, some of them are more economic. The, the golden rule, um, we wanted to pack it in with stuff. I talked about how it, when we first did this book, we wanted to have those layers and, and have different application or different understanding. I really wanted that for this book because in this book, we're talking about the golden rule. But beyond that, we're talking about the related concept of the non-aggression principle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you should never aggress or use force against another person. Mm-hmm. It's okay to defend yourself. You should never be the aggressor. Kind of fundamental human social uh, principle, very closely tied to the golden rule, right? So we wanted to talk about non-aggression principle. Along with that, we wanted to talk about the concept of interventionism and justice and revenge and blowback. And these are very weighty topics, right, that wow. that relate to foreign policy especially, right, but relate also to you and your sibling if you're little kids or you and your spouse or you and your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so these principles are huge in their application. They're also very direct and intimate in their application. And so we wanted this book, and, and this book for us, I think, is going to be a great hook into the series for new parents who maybe aren't very politically oriented or don't understand economics or don't see the value of their children understanding that. So maybe the other books might not appeal to them, but like so many parents want their kids to understand why being kind is is good and 
the golden rule. So the golden rule. All right. So the book is so the, is the topic both the just traditional kind of cliche golden rule, do unto others as you would want done unto you, and he who has a goal make the rule makes the rules. No, is it both? No, or that, is one, it... that one's just the joke, right? The, oh, the, okay. I like the yeah. second one right. the best. I yeah. know that. that'll be that'll be the sequel or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's just it's the 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 golden rules that's known, and then and then the non-aggression principle that's tied to that. Got it. Here's okay. the, here's Got the it. challenge for me in writing this book. I was trying to figure out. I was emailing like Tom Woods and all these libertarian scholars at the Mises Institute, trying to figure out. Guys, what what book? Because all of our books are based on you know an original book, including you had said food truck fiasco. That one's based on economics in one lesson mm-hmm. by Henry Hazlitt. Yeah, Hazlitt yeah. So we're trying to figure out what book talks about the non-aggression principle that that we could base this golden rule book on. And um, after not coming up with much, people were replying, being like, "Well, there's chapters in these books where the authors talk about that, but there's no real treatise just about." the non-aggression principle or the golden rule. And then I realized, oh my gosh, like one of the most influential books for me fits the bill. It was a, a book written, not I mean written, compiled in 2007 by former Congressman Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. I was a congressman for 20 some odd years and he was a big what's called non-interventionist. He yeah. always wanted peace and trade mm-hmm. and, and friendship between nations and not all the conflict and the bombing and interventionism. This book, it's called A Foreign Policy of Freedom. And it's a compilation of the speeches he had given on the issues of foreign policy for like the two decades. I came across this book in 07, kind of at the early stage of my intellectual development, and read through the whole thing, was blown away. It was very formative in how I see the world now. And, And so the book was influential for me, but the entire book is all about do unto others as you would have them do unto other nations as you would have them do unto you. Mm. And I realize that this book is basically the outgrowth of the very things we're talking about. We're teaching mm. kids about just between them and their friends, right? But even in the book, we kind of hint at with those layers, there's bigger applications beyond this as well. And we want them to grow and think about that as they get older, certainly as they become voters. So I'm curious, real, real quick, before we move on here, at what age, or do you think there is an age that a child starts uh, forming or perceiving their political ideologies. Yeah, that's does that a, start really early. That's you think? a really good question. I think that's more in the teens um, where that really begins to happen. And so we, along with the criticism that we got about you know propaganda, we certainly don't want to do this in a way. And I think it's really up to the so parents. So do you think that? It, so on that, do you think that a child, any sort of political ideology that they have, is is almost a mimicry of something that they see from their parents, but they don't truly start forming their own opinions until they're in their early teens? I think so. But I, I think the key is as they begin to form their opinions, what's the foundation that they're kind of testing and pushing back on and experimenting with, right? Too many parents, I think, are okay with their children being a blank slate mm-hmm. and like, oh, let them just form their opinions as they live. I, I don't think that's good parenting nope. because that's just reactive to whatever their environment mm-hmm. is. And they end up becoming victims of their society rather than shaping. Very good point, right. Yeah. And, and so it's not to say, hey, child, I want you to believe this. It's like, hey, as you figure things out, I want you to be aware of these ideas. Mm-hmm. And here's how I see things. And and I have these experiences to back it up. I mean, I guess the same applies to religion too. You don't, you know, Christian parents, for example, don't just throw their children to the wolves and say, oh, if you land with Christianity, great, that's fine. We'll baptize you sure. in 20 years. But you don't want to just like force them into it or, or not expose them to other ideas. And so mm-hmm. I think with our books, they become a supplement to parents. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not trying to give them that propaganda or, or control what those opinions are. But at the same time, if parents are not providing access and, and exposing their children to that information, they're very much at mercy of whatever the school teacher is talking about, their peers believe, they read on the Internet. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, I think good parenting is being a little bit more proactive 
and supplemental to what the children are learning. As for when those opinions are, I, I think that comes much later than than our target age range, which is like five to ten. Okay. So it's more just exposure at this. You're point. You're just but, about yeah. principles and values at this yeah. at this stage. Yeah. That that Not, fall in line with libertarianism. But Not, these, yeah, but I would say th- this is this is one of those foundational ones though, because it has to do with the interaction with other other people, mm-hmm. right? And that's really what a society is: is just a, a slew of interactions between lots of sure. lots of people. Same thing, you know, inter- internationally. So I think what it's what it's really teaching and creating is that okay, all interactions going forward, this this is a way, probably the most agreed upon way to uh, to base those relationships. Mm. And a, a lot of it is just pure information, right? Why don't we use gold anymore? Right? There's not really many opinions about that. It's just, well, here are the shortcomings with it, and here's what happened. And, oh, kings used to shave off the edges of coins, and so they made ridges as a counterfeiting measure. Um, how do markets work? People across the world interact and trade. And so a lot of it is more exposing children to the world around them through the information, not so much the subjective analysis on top of it of, here's why that's good or here's why that's bad. Mm-hmm. We do have that. Like, we are trying to kind of guide the reader, but a lot of it is just real-world application. Information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think yeah. So last week, my uh, my sister in law and her kids, my brother's family, was in town on, on spring break, and so I had this I had this on the, uh, the coffee table, and she started reading. And she's twelve, and it was just it was a fascinating, awesome conversation where she was like, "Yeah, food trucks are awesome, and it's just not, you know, they're the it's the the fairness idea. Why would they Why would they do that?" And I think that real world application just showed her, wow, it's, there is application to you know uh, passing laws and. Uh, lobbying groups and people that have more money than others can kind of you know make it so a person has to behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. So it brought up just like a fascinating conversation about you know free markets when it comes to uh, trade and, and commerce. Uh, but it was you know it was a great discussion on someone that I'd never had that type of interaction with before. And how else do you do that? I mean, you're not going to sit a 12 year old down and say, "Let me talk to you about trade injustices." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, there's a way in which it's like it's it's a story, it and it makes sense. It's it's logical, but then they can use it as a foundation to you know assess other situations. And they can make sense of the world around them because they have a a, a relatable example to connect it to. I can't tell you how many times my kids now will say something like. Hey, that's just like we read in the Tuttle Trans book, right? <laughs> like they see this thing happen, or I talk about this thing at work. Cool. I, I take them up to the Capitol uh, once a session, once a year when we're up there, and and I said, "Oh, this is where the Senate does." Oh, just like you know, in the Tuttle, like they can constantly be relating it back, and it helps them just make more sense. I think fundamentally, that's what we're trying to do: mm-hmm. expose children to the world around them. Uh, with a certain outlook on life so they understand how things operate, and then they can pay attention to it more. Without that foundation, how are these kids? going to even recognize or comprehend some of these things whereas now they can kind of oh hey i i understand that yeah. right that makes sense to me now it's like the tuttle twins gla- tuttle twins glasses now they have those yeah, glasses yeah. on and now everything we should makes make sense. some that's a good idea <laughs> <laughs> rose colored glasses <laughs> <laughs> maybe gold colored glasses Golden, yeah they <laughs> you've been listening to the wealth standard podcast the gold standard in all things financial 